Welcome to another episode of the Just Dumb Enough Podcast, Adult Content Warning. This episode revolves a lot in particular around the topics of sex, porn, and masturbation. Today we are talking to Matt Sinkovitz about porn addiction and the damage it can do to your relationships and the toll it can take on your health. Can I just say, when I started this podcast, I never thought about one day having a Zoom meeting with a complete stranger and talking about very sexual content. I've accepted, sometimes it's how this show is going to be, and I actually think it's great. But I definitely felt awkward for most of it, uh, and I can hear that in my voice and in some of my word choices throughout the episode, especially at the end when we, uh, well... No spoilers, but we talk about some graphic changes to a work environment. We do talk primarily from the male perspective, because it is my expert's biggest source of work and experience, but that's not to say that if you're listening to this and female, you can't also gain insight from the interview. Matt has worked in porn recovery for close to two decades now and is currently coaching thousands of men on how to make healthier, more mindful choices about their relationship with porn and sex. A quick disclaimer, we are not medical experts, and this podcast is not meant to be taken as medical advice. My guest and I just both believe that it's a topic that deserves thought and attention. I want to mention that the contest to find my mistakes from the last episode is still going on if you want to get yourself some show stickers. I should make a game of this episode to find which innuendos are intentional and which aren't, but frankly, it just comes with a topic. Anyway, let's step away from the edge and break the addictive cycle. Matt Sinkovitz, welcome to the show. Colton, uh, it's great to be here. Thanks so much for having me today. Yeah, thanks for being here. Uh, why don't you tell the audience a little about yourself? Sure. Uh, so my name's uh, Matt Sinkovitz. I'm from uh, Harrisburg, Pennsylvania area. And um, presently, my focus in life is uh, serving and supporting men in overcoming pornography addiction. I run a, a large community on Facebook, about 1,100 men from all over the world who've identified that uh, porn is not a healthy aspect of their life and they're desiring to end their relationship with porn. And I run a coaching community and, and we serve and support men and helping them resolve that for themselves. And that's awesome. Thank you for doing that for people. You got it, brother. So it seems like just in what you said, you know, you run this group for men. Are they kind of the most affected demographic when we talk about porn addiction? Well, affected, you know, I would say that's probably the largest segment of, of the population, you know, of, of porn users would be men, but man affected. I don't know. I think, I think porn has uh, affects, uh, you know, a, a lot of kids now are getting their hands on pornography at much earlier ages. So there's definitely an impact and an effect there. And, um, you know, plenty of women have, have unhealthy relationships with pornography as well, which I kind of get a perspective from, from my seat as well. So I would say men would be the largest pie segment of the population. Okay. And you mentioned, yeah a lot of younger people are, are finding it. Is that partially just because we have phones in our pockets that all have access to it? Yeah, I think that's really what it is. You know, uh, whenever I grew up, I was a kid, I really didn't have the internet in the house until like towards the end of high school for me. 
Um, and it was a big deal when we did. And even then it was slow dial up stuff, you know, so porn wasn't as readily accessible or certainly wasn't as rampant as it is today. Um, now with everybody having a computer, a personal computer, a, a, a computer with high speed internet access, and certainly the phones in their hand was very little regulation or oversight. I think really that's what's leading to it. Yeah, I certainly could see that becoming a problem. Is there yes. an age group that you see at least addressing that they see it as a problem? Yeah, some some younger guys. You know, there's like this whole uh, no fat movement out there, which is like no pornography, no masturbation. A lot of guys are doing like the whole semen retention thing. I don't know if you're if you've heard anything about that, but a lot of guys are practicing maybe unless they're in a relationship, no, no masturbation or no ejaculation at all. So I am seeing like this movement in the in the 20 something demographic. But I think what I see, the men that really are kind of recognizing that it's an issue for themselves are the men that are kind of beginning to see the impact that it's having later in life. You know, um, maybe they're married, maybe they have a wife or a partner, maybe they're a father or a husband. And they begin to really Maybe maybe earlier in the life, porn was just kind of a casual thing. For a lot of men, it grows into something that's really unhealthy and it has an adverse impact in kind of all key areas of life. So the men that I see showing up to the work and really taking it seriously and doing like the work to really resolve it long term would be 30s, 40s, and some of our most successful uh, guys that come into the program or even in their 50s because they show up, they've had 30, 40 years of porn addiction and they're just ready to really do the work and, and get it resolved for themselves. Yeah. It seems like some of that is, you know, a length of time exposure, you know, the young guys who are, are finding whatever way to make, you know, their situation work, which I hadn't heard of uh, any of the stuff you're talking about, but, yeah. um, and we can talk about that in a minute, but uh, it seems like, you know, they just don't have the, like the length of exposure to it that maybe mm -hmm. drives some of that, oh, hey, this is a problem, and now I'm seeing it develop in my life. Yeah, and, and and just to kind of give you some perspective, what men see later in life that, like, you know, kids younger don't see, maybe not kids, but even young adults maybe don't see, is the impacts that porn ultimately oftentimes has on sexual function. You know, there's this thing called ED, uh, erectile dysfunction, or um, DE, delayed ejaculation. Um, so a lot of a lot of guys they begin to wake up to this. At first, they don't see the correlation, but a lot of men begin to wake up to this whenever they begin to have um, you could say performance issues in the bedroom, where they can't either get a uh, get an erection or maintain an erection. That seems to be one of the big things that wakes a lot of people up. And then and then the way in which porn for a lot of people impacts the intimacy within their within their relationships within their marriage. Uh, I see a lot of fathers come to us because they want to be able to lead and guide their kids in this area, but they can't do it if they're not, uh, if they don't have it resolved to a degree in their own life. So a lot of things kind of seem to prompt men later in life whenever they begin to see like the real life uh, implications. Yeah, I can see that. And you brought up some terminology. We'll, we'll bust through. You had mentioned uh, delayed ejaculation and semen retention. I don't know what either of those are offhand. Yeah, yeah, there's a, it's, it's a whole world out there. It's a whole world out there. Okay, so delayed ejaculation. This is not something I have dealt with myself, um, but this is, um, th so there's a great book. If this, if this conversation resonates with anybody that might be listening, I'd recommend checking out a book called Your Brain on Porn, Your Brain on Porn. And uh, there's like deep you know, scientific uh, study around this stuff and also a lot of case studies around people's experiences with, uh, with this. 
So um, delayed ejaculation would oftentimes be because because some guys have this compulsive obsessive relationship with masturbation and it's like they they masturbate so much that they lose the sensitivity in their penis and maybe they're used to their hand um, a lot of times the nerve endings in the penis become desensitized because of so much ejaculation and then they're not able to actually ejaculate during during intercourse and that's something that I, I encounter very frequently and um, is, is really quite common. So guys are like, you know, trying to ejaculate for like hours sometimes if they can't do it and uh, creates a lot of stress in the bedroom because a lot of guys also spend a lot of time in front of the computer, what you call edging. So maybe like viewing pornography, maybe they'll do it for a couple hours and, and not ejaculating. So that becomes kind of like their, their experience of sex. So delayed ejaculation, basically a guy can't, uh, ejaculate or takes them a long long time too very common and then what was the other one uh, that we that you uh inquired about um uh, semen retention yep that's it yeah man that's this is like this ancient practice that you hear about through as, as far back as even some religious practices such as like tantra kundalini yoga there's like this life force energy that that moves through all of us have you ever heard this um advice that maybe they would give to a boxer that that says like don't don't have sex before a fight you heard that yeah of course they're like yeah the night before you need to go to, back to your room and rest no no partying no sex none exactly of that. that's because whenever we we do ejaculate there's like this big energetic release you know so so people have begun to kind of put two and two together so people call like that that ejaculate you know your seed or your life force energy so like there's like there's practices that go back like very, very far, even tying into old spiritual practices where, where guys don't ejaculate. And it's like they're able to, to cultivate and harness that sexual energy. And they take that energy and they focus it and they harness it and use it uh, in, the, in the direction of their life, uh, manifestation and, and, and creative processes and personal power. So a lot of people practice basically abstinence. And there's also this practice out there of men learning to have an orgasm without ejaculating. Um, there's a whole there's a whole practice out there of that where men can you know usually usually when a guy uh, comes he you know it's like one time they need like this rest period, but uh, men are able to practice uh, these these techniques and strategies where they have the orgasm but they don't ejaculate um, so they they're able to retain that that semen or that seed so it's a whole world out there just Google semen retention there's a book called Way of the Superior Man by, by David. Uh, Dida, and he teaches all about um, semen retention. There's a book out there called The Multi-Orgasmic Male is, is another book that speaks to this, but these ancient uh, practices of basically harnessing our sex energy and, and, and not releasing it. That's that's the semen retention practice. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, it mm -hmm. seems like you're like a resource management tip at its base level where you're like, yeah, I have... I have you know X amount of electricity I can use in my house and I can either use it to set off you know, the disco ball and strobe lights, or I could use it to cook for the next day. Exactly. It's like, it's like after sex, man, like, you know, guys need this reset period and, and guys that are like frequently uh, masturbating and ejaculating several times a day, man, it's just like they're depleted. So some kind of, some guys become kind of uh, awake to this and hip to this and then begin to say, I'm going to harness this energy and, and utilize it differently. Exactly. It's, it's something that, um, it, it like recycles every day. So it renews every day, but it definitely can be depleted throughout the day. So 
yeah, there's a conservation of it. Yeah, it makes sense. Physiologically speaking, or because I suppose psychologically we could view it as different, but physiologically, do our bodies differentiate between if we're having sex or if you're masturbating? Is it just like an orgasm is an orgasm? That's a good question. And I, I, I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm an expert in that area or on the physiology of it. I would say, I would say yes. I mean, to me, what you're experiencing differently whenever you're having sex is obviously like this emotional, physical connection that you get with actually being present with a person, which is obviously much, much different. And you also receive something back. You know, it's like whenever you're just maybe masturbating by yourself, ejaculating, like you're putting all this energy out, but you don't receive anything in return. And I think that's what's beautiful about intimacy is like this, this exchange that takes place and you can, you can receive at the same time. You know? Yeah, that's no, interesting. The other thing I was going to mention, you know, we we're talking about delayed ejaculation. A lot of men suffer from premature ejaculation. Yeah. Uh, and I could see both of those things happening. You know, number one, somebody takes a long time. They really want to, you know, as you said, edge, which for anyone not familiar with the terminology is to delay your orgasm intentionally. Mm -hmm. um, but I think there's probably a lot on the opposite end too, right? That are just like, you know, if I could get to gratification as quick as possible. So they're, they're watching porn for the shortest period of time that they exactly. can. Exactly. Yeah. And it's like by doing that. So, so yeah, that's on the total opposite end of it. And, but that's also very common as well. Guys, you know, from an early age, like they just view sex as the orgasm, just trying to get the nut, you know? And so that's how they view sex as well. And uh, yeah, so, so some guys have these big, long, multi-hour, you know, sessions, but some guys it's just quick and it's their thing just to try and get off as quickly as possible. And then that's how they train their bodies is to ejaculate quickly. And then whenever they get into a, you know, a physical situation, they're, they're the minute man that, that Missy Elliott talks about in her songs, you know, and uh, <laughs> still really quick. Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes sense. And it kind of seems like, you know, although whatever you're doing is unintentionally programming you, you know, you're doing your thing and it's like, it has this impact that you're not necessarily seeing until you're in a relationship. Yeah. And you're certainly not, and you're certainly not training yourself. You know, you're like, you're certainly not training yourself to be able to extend the time in the bedroom. You know, it's easy for guys to have an orgasm, but women take a little longer, you know, so you want to be considerate of that. You know? Right. Um, and this seems like an interesting topic when you talk about the addiction standpoint, because the previous addiction that I talked about in here was to opioids on my show. And they are definitely like a very different kind of addiction. You know, one is this very like chemical dependency that you are putting into your body. Whereas like this porn addiction is you've like psychologically affected yourself instead of chemically. Yes, you have. And there is also, again, your brain on porn is a great resource to look more into this, but also there is a chemical dependence because whenever we're going to pornography in the same way that we have, we're addicted to the screens, there's a correlation between what's going on in our relationship with pornography and the dopamine that's uh, experienced in the brain. So there is like this, this addiction to that, op to that, to that dopamine uh, release that we experience during, during uh, pornography because of the extreme nature of the, of the content. So there is like this, this chemical addiction as a result of what's released in the brain as well. Cool. Yeah. No, I mean, in the way one requires a chemical to be input, whereas this is, I would guess, closer to like a gambling addiction where like you are getting yeah. those quick 
dopamine hits. Agreed. Um, and that's what keeps you coming back. Like you have, you've given yourself your own chemical cocktail in your brain and half the time don't probably realize what's even happening to you. Right. Right. So, you know, we talked a little bit about people recognizing that this has become a problem. What would you say are maybe some warning signs for people who might just be listening and think this is an interesting topic, but it doesn't in any way affect me. You know, what could they think about to kind of maybe give themselves like a quick checklist? Like, okay, no, I, I am correct. I'm not addicted or, oh, maybe I am addicted. Maybe I do have a problem and this is going to, you know, I'm catching it before I, I see the development in my own life. Yeah. So it's, it's interesting, you know, I, I have these conversations frequently and I kind of take this stance. I don't really take a position on whether porn is good or bad or right or wrong and like who should do it or who should not do it. I think it's really like an individual, it's an individual experience and uh, I'm not here to, to be the judge of that. What I can say is, you know, some men and women wake up to the fact that they've got this unhealthy relationship with it. And a couple of key indicators, first and foremost, is have you tried to quit or told yourself you were going to quit or kind of were really clear at one point that you didn't want to consume pornography anymore, but you continue to go back? You know, my, I'd speak from, from direct experience in that, you know, I had a 20 plus, you know, year relationship with pornography. And um, it was something that I recognized through my growth, through my development, through my evolution, that it just wasn't healthy for me. I didn't like the way it impacted certain areas of my life. I didn't like the way it made me feel afterward. And uh, oftentimes it made me feel just gross. You know, I was like, I just didn't like, I didn't like the man I was when I was a regular consumer of pornography. And I was really clear at many times I was done with it but I continued to return. And, you know, it's like, maybe we'll be doing good for a couple of days or a couple of weeks or even a couple of months. And we'll have this, this kind of low moment or a vulnerable moment and we'll find ourselves back. So that would be a good indicator. Like, have you tried to quit or told yourself you were going to quit or thought about quitting, but have been unable to, because it kind of has a way of taking over the body. It's like a compulsion, a compulsive relationship. So that would be one indicator. Another one would be like, is it something that you have to hide in your life? Or is it something that you have a lot of secrecy around in your life? Is it something that you have to hide from a partner or you're sneaking around doing at work or other locations? Uh, is it something that you have kind of like this secret kind of hidden energy around? Is it something that uh, like, would you feel comfortable handing your phone or your internet browsing uh, history over to your partner to view? Or would that like freak you out? You know, is there like a, is there like a hidden or, or kind of secretive nature in, in terms of your relationship with pornography. That can be often another indicator. Um, ultimately, you know, can be unhealthy because for a lot of guys, it's like this big part of their life that they have to hide, keep secret, and like nobody knows about. So that, that would be another indicator. And the third one I, I, I typically just, if someone's kind of trying to gauge this for themselves, it's like, just look at the before and after effects. Like, how were you feeling before porn? Uh, maybe after a, after a session, right? And after you're done, how do you feel now? Like oftentimes I've, I found in my journey and what a lot of men report is afterwards, feelings of feeling depleted, low energy, depressed, feelings of guilt, shame, remorse, regret, just kind of feeling icky about themselves, feeling that they can't really trust themselves or can't control their behavior. And so a lot of times these kind of low vibe feelings um, and experiences kind of creep in after pornography use and then stick around for a couple of days or a couple of weeks and kind of have a way of throwing us out of momentum. So I think if we're 
willing to be conscious and self-aware and really pay attention to what choices impact the way we're feeling, we, we can kind of begin to see the correlation there. That would be another indicator. Like, how does it make you feel aside from the excitement of actually doing it? You know? Yeah. No, I think those are good points because, you know, most people probably wouldn't, wouldn't think about it. But if you're like, yeah, if you had to hand your phone over right now, would you be comfortable with somebody going through your browser history? I think most people right. are like, oh, oh no. <laughs> right, um, right. And that's, you know, could be any number of reasons. Maybe you're just embarrassed about your shopping history. But if, if you're specifically hiding like, oh no, what if someone sees the massive amount of porn that I'm viewing? Like maybe yeah. that's, that's your sign like, oh, hey, maybe that is too much porn. Right, uh, right. Yeah. I think anything, I think anytime we feel as though we have a need to hide uh, an aspect of ourselves or our life, there's just an energy around that. Uh, maybe, maybe it's suggesting something, you know? Yeah. And I, uh, I always try and do a little, a little research just so I know like what to look at, even though I uh, go into all of these being the person that doesn't know anything. Some of the stats were really like threw me for a loop. And I couldn't think of a way to like naturally get them into the conversation. So I just wanted mm -hmm. to ask you about them. There was a lot of websites that show something like 35% of all internet usage is for porn. Yep. Mm -hmm. That seems like an alarmingly high number. Yeah. I mean, absolutely it is. I mean, it's like, it's like the internet is made for porn, man. And uh, whenever I was a porn user, I mean, that was a definitely a regular part of my porn my, my internet time. Another really interesting one is, and this, you know, you talk about what are the implications or what are the effects is like, I think I saw like 50% of, of divorces in the United States indicate that that pornography played a part in the, in the separation, you know what I mean? Coming between the marriage, uh, affecting intimacy, you know, trust, all these different things that can come up. Um, that's another, that's a really, another really interesting stat. Yeah. And it seems like, you know, maybe if every one in three browser windows you look at is porn. Like how desensitized are we becoming to porn just mm -hmm. as like a society, as humanity? Are yeah. we just like, oh yeah, and that's porn in the in the window over there. You know, here's mm -hmm. my Facebook feed, here's my news feed, and that one's porn. <laughs> yeah, it really is, man. And it, it really speaks, I think, to the potential for how much we're desensitizing ourselves around sex in general the way in which we objectify women and see them as, as objects for our sexual satisfaction or our fantasy. Uh, yeah, I think we really have desensitized ourselves and we've taken something. Now, again, maybe your viewers would disagree with this, but something that has the potential and I think is inherently sacred and beautiful. And it's exciting because it's not just an everyday thing, you know, and we've changed our relationship to it and, and become desensitized to a, to a great degree, you know? Yeah. And I think, you know, when you reference the amount of people that are, you know, citing it in their divorce paperwork, I think that's pretty common. You know, I've heard conversations just between friends or, you know, in a, in whatever setting where they're like, oh yeah. And then I found out how much he was looking at porn. Right. And it's like, yeah, if you're not, if this isn't something like you and your partner are doing together and you are hiding it as that behavior we mentioned earlier, like that right. could be pretty shocking, I think, to a partner that's like, oh no, I mean, he probably looks at it maybe once in a while. And then yeah. you look at their phone and you're like, oh, this is not once in a while. Yeah, it's really not. And, and, and you know, I, I, uh, I speak with men every day about this and uh, 
very often I hear men say stuff like, I lost my marriage because of it. I lost my family because of it. I lost two marriages because of it. So yeah, very, very common to see uh, an impact there. Yeah. And I think that's a, yeah, especially when you said that, you know, like oh, I lost my marriage and my second marriage. Right. I think that would should shock people when they hear it. Like, wow, mm-hmm. is it really, does it take this much of a hold on you? And I'm sure for some people it has a pretty, a pretty deep grip. It does, man. And, and you know, like sex addiction is a real thing, man. You know, some people, their thing is cigarettes. Some people it's drug and alcohol. Some people it's food. We have these compulsive relationships with these things. For some people it's sex, man. And some people it's porn. And the, the tricky thing about porn, as we mentioned earlier in our conversation, is that it's so readily accessible and it's there at a click of a button. Anytime, you know, some people, when you smoke or you, you eat junk food, it's not always because you're hungry. It's because you're just looking for a fix, you know, or you're stressed out or you're just looking to check out or whatever the things. Some people use porn and for the same reason. It's just their go-to feel-good thing. And, uh, yeah, it becomes like a regular part of life and um, has, uh, has big impacts, man. Well, and that's where you talk about people that are addicted to food and people that are addicted to whatever it might be. At some level, sex is a, a pretty heavily influenced like biological feeling in most people. So I can see this addiction very easily becoming something that could be overwhelming because you're talking about one of the base things that your your body is like, yeah, I need this until we go into excess. Yeah, Colton, that's that's the thing. That's I think why it's particularly tricky. So it's one of these things like the sex industry, it plays on and it's tied in directly to one of our survival instincts, one of our base drivers, our sex drive, you know? And then we look at our phones, which are heavily addictive. I mean, scrolling itself is addictive. The phones are addictive. Social media is addictive. Porn is like, you know, social media almost in, in the way that you scroll it and consume it in the same ways. So it's like those two things put together make it really complex. That's a, a really complex challenge to navigate. Well, and a lot of our technology, even if it's behind the scenes, flows like towards the porn industry first. I think that's the the fun fact that I have that people probably don't know is that's the reason we chose Blu-ray over HD when we switched like in DVDs is because porn gravitated to Blu-ray. Hmm. I just I didn't learned know that. that. Yeah, I just yeah, learned that one recently. And so it's like there is a heavy amount of like the tech industry that looks to the porn industry and says like, how could this be utilized and will it be adopted right. here? Mm-hmm. Because I mean, 35% of all usage is like, hey, right. Are you going to use this? Right. I know I was listening to a show with a guy who was, uh, he represented like a gaming software company and they sent him to a porn, the porn expo. Um, I don't know what it's called, you know, like the adult awards shows or whatever it was. Yeah, I think it's called AVN. Yeah. Like that, um, they sent him there to see how interested those industries would be in like a VR market. They're mm-hmm. like, Hey, could virtual reality play into your, your your demographic like how interested would people be so i thought that was an interesting stat for people to like you know they wanted that information oh yeah man i'm like now i've since altered my relationship with porn that i've never like never ventured into like virtual reality porn like that kind of came after i changed my relationship with porn you know um so but i'm pretty sure it's out there i'm pretty sure like vr porn's out there i mean I i don't really know but i'm sure it is yeah, it's definitely not something that like 
I don't have a, a VR headset hooked up to the computer or I'd probably be more easily able to tell you, but mm-hmm. uh, I'm sure that it is a, a market that has at least some play Got to. Got you to. Know, in the demographics. The other thing that we you mentioned just super briefly, and I had seen a statistic on, um, was a Forbes report that showed 25% of people have looked at porn while at work. Is oh, that yeah. a is that a real number? Like that seems like high. I think it sounds low to me, man. You know, uh, <laughs> yeah, I would say so, dude. I hear like I hear guys like at work, at home, in the bathroom, in the car. I mean, I think like if you're a porn user, I think there's nothing off limits. You know, doors closed. You know, you check your phone real quick. I, I would think so. Yeah. I, I bet you that number's low. See, I think it must be. Um, they had said like human resources, two out of three people in human resources when cleaning company computers after an employee had left, had found porn. And I'm like, well, that's 66%. That's significantly higher than this 25% that who have admitted to it. Right. Exactly. You got to think about who's admitting to it. Right. Yeah. So I'm like somewhere between, you know, 25 and 66% is our, like our real number seems really high to me just because like i don't know if maybe it's the nature of the jobs i've had or very like i've never had the job behind the computer so maybe that's that plays into it um but it's never been something where i'm like you know what i could do right now is look at porn (laughs) right well also it's the phone too though like who knows what those numbers are man like maybe that maybe they're not on the work computer right Cause like even during my porn days, I was smart enough not to do that, but the phone, you know, who knows what that number might look like, you know? And again, it's just, it's really almost like, I think people check it and, and check into it just like as, as you know, instinctively as people check social media, you know, you pick up your phone, you just like see what's there. You scroll, you look around a little bit, maybe it's short, whatever, but yeah, man, I, I, I bet you that number is low. I think that's interesting. If there was like a, somebody who did a, a research that saw what the, how similar like a Facebook home screen was to a porn home screen, I bet right. one probably mimics the other pretty closely. And I couldn't tell you which one did it first, but I, exactly. would, I would bet they probably have a, at least a healthy amount of similarities because yeah. that, that plays off of your just standard addiction to social media. Exactly. Exactly. Interesting. All right. Well, I had a couple of uh, of audience questions that they had oh, yeah, asked me about. Um, uh, they they keep it pretty pretty tame. Um, the last one was definitely news to me, so we'll get there. But they had asked. Uh, the first one was: Do you include pornographic novels in the same category as video? That's a great question, man. So here's another one I get frequently. Colton is, what really counts as porn? You know, so again, I'm not even going to like say I'm not the authority on this. You know what I mean? I, I think I think pornographic novels could be pornographic in nature. But like, I think what we have to really look at and we have to really be willing to be honest with ourselves about is like, what is the effect? You know, what is the effect that you're getting? Now, I know in my journey um, and the men that I work with in our community, like there have been times maybe you're not viewing pornography, but you're on Instagram and you're on TikTok, and you're on some of these other things that maybe you're not seeing straight up nudity, but you're seeing some really explicit stuff going on. And it's still, you're still having the same 
energy around it, the same draw. You're still having the same physical experience. You're still mesmerized in the same way. And so is that porn or not? But it can, if it's not, it can definitely lead to it. I know men, they get, they, they, they slip up regularly because they're saying, I'm not going to view porn. I'm not going to view porn. But then they're on TikTok or on Instagram viewing some of these really provocative things. And then that just opens the door for more. It's like, it's just like this general degrading of, of the commitment or the integrity around it. So for, for myself in my journey, again, I'm a coach and I lead a community. I have to be in, in a high level of integrity around this in my own journey and how I've kind of learned to really quantify this or, or view this for myself as like, what is the energy around it? Like I can see kind of, I can, I can feel and experience and kind of see energetically where this is going. I can kind of notice what, what arousal, you know, mechanisms are being in touch there. I can see that maybe it's not a porn website, but even reading a book is kind of hitting some of those triggers for me and it might open the door and invite me just, just for more. So it's like if, if we play with certain things long enough, oftentimes it leads to more behavior. So we in our community really help and encourage our brothers to have a high degree of, of integrity around it. And, and if you know, you've kind of got that, that kind of, uh, you're having that experience around it and it's kind of arousing you in the same way that porn does or the thought of it does, then you just want to be careful. So again, I don't know, does a porn uh, novel is the same as viewing porn? No, probably not. But I think we want to be careful around our experience of it and what it could lead to potentially, because it's, it's really oftentimes arousing us in a similar way. Yeah. I liked the question just because it introduced, like when people say porn, I think most people think of a video on a website, but porn can be like, they, you know, they make magazines, people write erotica, you know, there's all kinds of versions of something that is, you know, erotic at some nature. Yes. Um, and I guess, you know, the, when you're talking about a porn addiction, it's anything that kind of like stimulates that same drive. Exactly. Yeah. And that's where it can be a slippery slope. And if, you know, for, for a man that's kind of admitted and recognized for himself that he's got this relationship that he wants to resolve. Yeah. You got to be really careful when you're on that slippery slope, you know? Yeah. yeah and, and we definitely, you know, as you said, like, while it's not pornographic, there is a lot of like sexualization of people yeah. on, you know, just like take Instagram, for example, I don't think there's anyone that would deny on the planet that has used Instagram that people are posting like intentionally over-sexualized images because right. it gets them likes, it gets them followers. Like, and if that's your market, if that's what you're doing for work as an influencer, I guess fine, but right. like, it's definitely, you have to acknowledge that like, that's definitely sexual. <laughs> oh my goodness, man. It, it's like I said, it's just a slippery slope. So just gotta be, gotta be careful. And a lot of it comes down to just spending less time on the screen. I always say to our guys, if, if we could throw these out the window, you know, our phone, then most of our problems would be solved, you know, but it's that constant temptation in your pocket at all times that makes it tricky. I say you gotta switch back to the clamshell, the flip phone. I did at one point in my journey, man. <laughs> yeah. Hey, yeah. whatever you got to do. Right. Yeah. But it let, it makes me think, you know, when we talk about people that post sexualized images, is it making people, you know, more likely to, I don't know what a good way to phrase this is to like sexualize people that aren't necessarily like intentionally over sexualizing themselves. 
Like maybe they post a picture that's like, oh, we had a great day at the beach. And it is just like they posted it because they were at the beach with their friends and they had a great time. Yeah. And we look at it and we're like, well, this is just, you know, like you're, you're digging for attention with these sexual images. I'm just wondering, like I said, I'm trying to find a good way to say this just because of our exposure to porn at Mm -hmm. all levels. Do we maybe look at things more sexually than they are intended in some circumstances, not in all? Yeah, I think that's a good question. Uh, I think porn probably plays a part. You know, at the end of the day, it's like there's work that we get to do and there's work that we do inside of our inside of our program and our process. And like for a lot of us, there's like this little boy that still exists. And it's that 13 year old little boy that still that first viewed pornography and he still views sex through those eyes. He still views women through those eyes. He still views porn, you know, just whatever through, through those eyes. And um, so, so porn still has something to do with it, but what we get to do as, as, as adults who are aware and conscious, I think we get to go back and help that little boy grow up and see through more mature eyes. So like where I, I think I'm getting to in my journey and I've seen other men get to, and their journey is to be able to see a beautiful woman and in a bikini and a bathing suit. And we recognize that she's beautiful. It's not like we were trying to not see it, you know, but we just kind of don't go there in terms of sexualizing her like we used to, or going on all these spun off fantasies like we used to. And I think there's just, it's not like we have to like act like we have blinders on and people don't exist. Like we're all built to be attractive to whatever we're attracted to. But I think there's like a maturing of the way in which we perceive others and like uh, a maturing in the way in which we, we conduct ourselves and, and like the places we'll allow our mind to go, you know, that takes some work, but I would definitely say porn has plays into it. And I think it's also part of our evolution as a human species to make some of these changes at a fun, fundamental level, maybe, maybe ultimately outgrow some of these ways of being, you know? Yeah, no, that makes sense. It plays into the next kind of listener questions that we had, which was, is porn making people's sexual experiences more violent? I, I would say yes. I would say yes in the way that um, it desensitizes. So what are the common, like just being out there, reading the articles, hearing the experiences, and also your brain on porn is a good example because it does case studies on a lot of young young men. Men are being taught and conditioned oftentimes like through pornography. For some guys, like that's their first exposure to sex. And the nature of pornography and the nature of the pornography industry and the nature of human psychology is that like with any drug, it's like the more you view it, the more you need more and more extreme material and also it becomes more taboo and oftentimes less in like alignment with what you truly want and desire. So a lot of times guys find themselves viewing stuff that's way far left, you know, from from really what what, what they truly would would want, you know, or they're doing stuff because they need more and more extreme content in order to to be aroused by it. And so, you know, young men and men in general are being conditioned, I think, by this stuff. And then they come bring it to the bedroom. And, uh, you know, it's not like you can't be like kinky or freaky or do certain stuff in the bedroom. Everyone's got their flavors, you know. But I think that extreme level of violence and what what, you know, these these sexual acts that are being portrayed are what guys are expecting now when they come into the bedroom. So I would absolutely say yes to that, that I think porn is making, is creating like a much more 
uh, creating a, a more violent expectation around sex. And uh, I hear from the women too that like women aren't always into being treated like that, you know, um, objectifying women and, and, and treating them in, in, in these ways. It's, it's very unrealistic. And I think it's, it's far off of what I think oftentimes healthy, healthy sex uh, and intimacy can look like. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's a good viewpoint because I certainly like, you know, way back when I was just starting to get sexually active in high school, like I didn't have that much exposure to porn. And so like some of the things that are now very common kinks wouldn't have even occurred in my brain, like, you know, 14, 15, like I wouldn't have thought, oh, choking someone during sex, like that's going to be a common thing. And now people are like, no, that's just a, like a fairly accepted kink, but it's also gained a recognition. Uh, I think most people know that like, okay, while that is a kink, you definitely need to make sure that this is a consenting relationship still, because I think that could be like a gray area. You know, if I was a young kid and I didn't have any prior information about sex and I was watching porn and a lot of it had people choking people. I'd probably just think like, okay, this is what happens while you're having sex. You're just going to choke somebody. Exactly. Yeah. And then so women, and then, so these young girls, like then they're either having these experiences, which aren't great, you know, in the, or they're also viewing the porn and then they think, oh, this is what's expected of me. And I think for a lot of them, it doesn't feel very great on certain levels, you know? Yeah. That's gotta be damaging, you know, for a young kid, to, to view it and think like, well, I don't want to do that, but if it's in porn, like it must be expected of me. That's right, gotta be right. rough. Like it wasn't something yeah, I had to go through, but thinking about it now, like that's, uh-huh. that's rough. Yeah, brother. All right. The last one <laughs> that I had in here was a wild story. It took me down a, a rabbit hole to read about it. Have you heard of the company strip chat? I have not. Okay. I don't understand a lot about the company. From what I understand, they make different pornographic material. Some okay. of it, some of it like live video streaming and some of it recorded. They are installing pods in their workplace specifically for masturbation. Hmm. What are your thoughts on that? What are my thoughts on a any any company installing pods for masturbation? Yeah, just the thoughts of like a company installing a pod that just says like, "Hey, this is this is the the masturbation pod." If you hey. feel the need to, <laughs> to go in, you know there. what, brother? You know what, Colton? Again, I'm not the judge, man. And if that's the company and that's what they want to do and that's the culture, and there's people that uh, that are attracted to that and uh, they find that that's productive and achieving whatever their objectives are, good for them, man. No, no opinion on that. Okay. <laughs> I, I I can say that I. Uh, that wouldn't be what I would want to install in my, uh, in, in my, in my work environment culture wise, but Hey, to each, to each their own. Yeah. I see it like, okay. If you're, if you work in a, a website, you have to see pornographic material all day. Maybe it's something that has been requested from employees. Um, I have a hard time seeing it implemented like the standard office workplace where mm-hmm. you're like, Oh, Hey, I gotta go take my 15 minute breaks. I'm going to hit the pods. Uh, so interesting like that would so be funny. S- such a wild change from like oh my god how i would be comfortable talking to my coworkers. Oh my goodness <laughs> i gotta look that up i gotta look that up yeah it's i encourage you to look it up but they were talking about like putting in equipment like having 
dildos and flashlights and TVs and subscriptions. Like they were talking about really like putting a lot of effort into these pods and it just and brought up is, so many thoughts. <laughs> so this is, this is, these, these are going to be installed at this place called uh, strip chat or whatever. Yeah. It's going to be installed. I think specifically for their office workers because they're viewing so much porn and they need to have the, the release valve in, in the office. It sounds like it, it I, that is uh, the gist of what I have read. Wow. And, and, and is this an article you found? Or yeah. Is this the, yeah. There's wow. a couple of articles on it. I thought I was going to run into like one article and I was like, maybe that's a rumor. Maybe it's just like, you know, drawing up <clears> some <throat> viral attention, but I actually found mm-hmm. many more than, than just the one. So I was like, okay, this is definitely a real article. <laughs> Interesting. I can't imagine a company allocating resources to that. You know what I mean? But again, maybe uh, maybe people are just like off running off in the bathrooms and they want to like make a create a different culture around it or something. Who knows? It could be. Uh, it brought a lot of stuff to my attention because I was like, I don't know that I would want an area where people are going to be sharing the same masturbatory aids. Right. Very, very peculiar. Yeah, there's this whole like peep show world. I'm not sure if it still exists or not, but like Back in the day, maybe it still goes on there. There'd be like these were like adult theaters, and people could go into these little booths and watch porn and like masturbate and stuff. And apparently, that was like a really grimy environment where mul- you know multiple people would you know go in and they would use these these uh, these little areas. You know, so yeah, that sounds gross to me, man. Yeah, I mean, I can't imagine being the janitor for the company and right, having, exactly. having to manage that's, these pods. That's rough. That's some OSHA stuff. Yeah. Right. All right. Well, you've, you've been a, a great sport about me asking some questions like that. I appreciate you coming on the show. If you could share, yeah. you know, just kind of where people could find you if they have further questions or they, you know, they want to seek help, anything like mm-hmm. that. Uh, I'd, I'd love to give you the time. Thank you very much. Yep. Yeah, so we are primarily located on Facebook. We have a private men's only community. It's called Porn to Purpose. Um, so you'll be looking if you, if you go on Facebook and just search Porn to Purpose, we're a private group. Um, only members of the community can see the activity in the community. Only members of the community can see who else is the community. So we do our very best to vet all the members and make sure it's like a legitimate, healthy, supportive space and safe where people can come in and actually begin to have conversations and connect around this issue. If uh, for those that recognize it's an issue for them, or want to at least begin to explore the conversation for themselves. Um, so porn to purpose, you can find me there. And also if you'd like to, uh, connect with me directly. You can also find me on Facebook through that. Matt Sinkovitz is my name. And if you're interested in connecting uh, more directly or more discreetly, you can reach me at makingpeacewithporn at gmail.com. Awesome. Thank you very much. Yeah. I, I hope anyone that listened to this and realized like, maybe I do have an issue, you know, maybe reaches out or just tries to find, maybe investigate a little further for themselves. And I think it's great that you could come on the show and, you know, maybe give people that insight that they didn't have. You got it, Colton. I really appreciate you having me. Thanks so much. Uh, and uh, it's a great conversation. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Just Dumb Enough podcast, everybody. Remember to please share the show with friends or other people that you know and give it a review if you can. I've really been enjoying all of our growth, but we've hit kind of a plateau and I'd like to see that, you know, hit another upswing. Check out the outro from the composting episode for more details on that challenge that I issued and mentioned at the start of this episode.
reach out to me on the email or any of the social media pages. If you have a suggestion, a question, a guest you want, or you have something on your mind, dumbenoughpodcast at gmail.com. Super easy. I'm very responsive. I'm also going to be resetting up my trip to Austin, Texas that got canceled because I had COVID. Be doing that here soon, so if you want to hang out while I'm there, I will let you all know when that date is finalized for sure. Lastly, we've got the rankings. There have been some changes in the listener and download numbers since the last episode. However, the order of the top five actually stayed exactly the same. So number one, the US, number two, Canada, three, India, four, the UK, and five, Sweden. This is the last episode to go up for the first quarter of 2022. So next episode, I'll give an update on that as well, and then maybe even the stats for our first half year, since the show has officially existed for six months now. But that's all I've got this week. I'll see you next time. Bye-bye.